a failure. <laughs> is that your mantra? Like Giannis Akatupoko. <laughs> is, is that your mantra that you wake up to, like on your mirror? On my mirror. I am not a failure. Affirmations. Self-affirmations. All right. All right. Roll it, Ready? Connor. I am. Fans, we are another. <laughs> yeah, this wow. Is... <laughs> wow. Talk about choking. Hey, hey, Giannis, this show will not be a complete failure. It's not. What is... <laughs> this show is building up towards something bigger. So every failure is actually a, a step to something greater. So just think, just know that and try try the intro again. Mm-hmm. Go ahead. I can't wait for Giannis to be explained. Yeah, me too. Uh, you guys are so out of the loop. Go ahead, though. Connor, start again. About to leave. Already packing. Come with me. I'm not really asking. We'll get away to a place where we don't know. What about this? This call is being recorded. Fans, we are back for another edition of the Roundup, catching up in the weekly headlines, results, and news from the professional squash tour. We've got our boys back, Bill and PJ. Welcome. Good afternoon, guys. Good to be back, gentlemen. Yeah, great to great to be back, Connor. You flubbed you flubbed the first opening. Um, that that does not make you a failure, as I discussed. It uh, it's mm-hmm. it's built it's building blocks towards something successful. Um, great greatness. Because in the past, you've had out of the hundred some odd shows, you've done the intro correctly 83 times. Does that make the other 17 times you did it incorrectly a failure? No, right? And kept going. Correct. I agree. Kept you guys, do you, so I know you guys don't follow any kind of pop culturally sports Twitter debates or anything like that. So do you guys have no. any idea about, and I tried to text it to you. And actually, did you guys see the video that I sent you of Giannis, uh, Giannis Atenkupo? Um, of the Milwaukee Bucks' press conference after they lost in the playoffs. Have we, have we had it confirmed that that's actually how his name's pronounced? Yes, I looked it up today just for this podcast. Actually, there's actually a video. Oh, there's actually a video of how to pronounce his name by he he does it. And it's, he either does it the um, Anglo way or the Greek way or whatever. Like there's two different ways, but I just pronounced it correctly. I wrote it. it. <coughs> I wrote it out phonetically. It's Aten Kupo. Brilliant. Absolutely think, nailed it. Brilliant. That's a good start to the show. Brilliant. Yeah. We're so, off, so, we're, so we're off and running. So yes, yeah, so I did watch it. Yeah, I watched it. I watched the clip this afternoon. I thought it was um, very interesting. Thoughts? Thoughts on that? So you don't have like a PJ, you don't follow the NBA. You don't, you know, so you, you're not really um, sure of the context, but just overall what he said. So, so here's what, let me, let me lay it out uh, like the, the context and then PJ could give your opinion. And I have mine and Connor, even though you don't under, know what's going on at all at any time, you may have no, an opinion I, on this. Well, exactly. I feel like I was going to be like the, the uh, listener here. Right. So I, I actually didn't watch it that way. I could kind of, you know, sure. have a hot take in real time. <laughs> sure. So um, the Milwaukee Bucks were the number one seed in the Eastern Conference of the NBA for the season. Uh, and in the first round of the playoffs, the NBA is a long slog. So the first round of the playoffs, they obviously face as the number one seed, the lowest seed in their conference. Um, and this year, that was the Miami Heat. So they were a heavy favorite to beat the Miami Heat. They lost in a best of seven series to the Miami Heat, four games to one. At the end wow. of the, Yes. So upset. I mean, Milwaukee was a lot of people thought Milwaukee was going to win the championship this year. It was either going to be them, Boston, or maybe a team from the West, but a a heavy favorite to to go far, at least to to make a good run Um, at the press conference um, on uh, uh, the night they lost. A reporter asked Giannis Giannis Atenkupo whether he thought because they lost and did not win the championship, would he consider this season a failure? 
and Giannis, who is very thoughtful and very well spoken, just like, like and he's a really good guy and and just a phenomenal player, by the way. Um, uh, went on a kind of like a soliloquy talking about how just because you don't always win, it doesn't make you a failure. Um, that there's building blocks, there's steps, and he cited all kinds of examples. Um, his worst example being that Michael Jordan. Uh, in his 16 years in the NBA, only won six championships. So were the other 10 years failures. Worst person to ever say that about, because I guarantee Michael Jordan would 100% say they were failures. But either way, that that, that morning when that clip was widely, um, you know, uh, sent out via Twitter, the accolades started coming in for Giannis saying, wow, that is such a great perspective. This is something that should be shown to by every coach, to every player in every sport. This is really what it's all about, blah, blah, blah. Flash forward two hours later when when the Twitterverse woke up and people were like, oh, wait a minute. You are not a Little League coach, Giannis. This is not high school sports. This is not junior sports. This is not even college sports. This is the NBA. This is professional sports, millions of dollars at stake. You are the number one seed playing the worst seed. You are expected to win a championship. And you lost in the first round to arguably the worst team in your conference that was left in the playoffs. Of course, the season's a failure. So it became that debate. It was a good debate whether the season was a failure or not. My take is that obviously Giannis is not a failure, right? Giannis is a professional athlete, one of the probably, if not the best basketball player in the world. He's won an NBA championship. He is not a failure. His teammates in a lot of ways are not failures because, again, they've attained the highest level in their sport. Is the season for the Milwaukee Bucks a failure? Of course it is. It's not. I don't even know where it's up for debate. They were the number one seed in the NBA uh, in the Eastern Conference. If they had lost to me, the, the Celtics in the, in the semis, like the conference finals um, in, a, in a tight series, then you know what? Flip of a coin. Celtics are a great team. You battled hard. You lost to the worst team. You lost to the Miami Heat, who some people don't even think should have been in the playoffs. They had to get into, into the playoffs by beating the Bulls in a play-in series. You lost to the Miami Heat four games to one as the number one seed. 100% the season's a failure. 100%. There's, I don't even know why it's a debate. Interesting. I, I disagree with you. I mean, totally, totally disagree with you. How you can determine that an entire season is a failure because of the result of <clears throat> what's happened in, in the national championships. He's obviously, he's a very educated guy, um, mm. played sports to the highest level. And as he said to the reporter, and this is no disrespect to you as a person, mm. yep. when you've competed at a very high level, I don't think you always judge things as a as a success or a, or a failure i think I, if i use myself as an example when i was a young kid growing up i always had aspirations and goals to be world number 1 world champion um england number 1 and represent my country and and this that and the other when i then look back on my career i never became world number 1 i never became world champion i did win the national championships. I became national champion, world number four, top 10 for a, a two and a half years, three years, whatever it was. Do, do, would I look back on my career as a failure? Absolutely not. I would look at that as a success. Yes, there were mishaps along the way, but I think I think he's got a terrific, that's almost like a, a great metaphor for life. You can't just judge one situation, one result and determine that, because of that, it, it's a failure. And I thought it was actually very clever when he referenced Jordan. He actually said 15 times that they played in the national championships. He won six right. of those. So right. nine, are those other nine determined as, as failures? No. Would Jordan be disappointed? Absolutely. But would he see it as a failure? 
I don't think he would consider it as a failure. I don't. Th I think it was a really wrong, poor choice of word from 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 the journalist. And I, I, yeah, I, I just that I, could be it. Yeah, I don't think they would. They don't look back and reflect, and especially somebody like Jordan, for an example, they wouldn't like to use a word like a like failure because they always want to look on the more positive side of things. Did it go as planned? No, not particularly. But there's things we can learn and things we can build on and things we can look to improve upon. I'm not going to class that as a as a failure, but holistically, holistically, yes, Giannis, it's not a failure holistically. Finitely, though, it is a failure. So tell me this, PJ, what was the highest rank you ever achieved as a as a pro? I was I got to four. four. Right? So if you're playing in a in a say a 32 draw, yeah. just say you're the, you're the number four in the world. So just say you were the fourth seed, right? Yeah. If you lost in the first round, you would be playing the who would you play in the first round? The 12th seed. Seventeen through thirty-two, because it's yeah. right. Seventeen through thirty-two. You yeah. you lost three games to love. You're you're healthy. You you were priming to win that tournament, the world championship, be whatever it is. Yeah. You lost in the first round to a see like a really low seed. Yeah. Would you consider that tournament specifically a failure? No, I'd look back on that and just think that's an extremely disappointing result. And where can I improve? Where can I get better? Because one of the things I learned from quite. A young age really was I, I, yes i would set myself goals but and targets and and rankings and numbers and everything but my premium and primary goal was to reach my full potential what was given the talents or the ability that i'd been given how could i maximize the most of that and become the best player i could possibly be yes there would be certain numbers and stuff that i would look to try and reach but as an overall goal full potential would be my my number one target so just because i lost in an event would i consider that event a failure no because i would be working towards a bigger picture okay um i i, I think in pro sports it's a little bit different especially in team sports so so the the world the world cup this year um so let's let's take one of the top teams in the world cup say france right um oh, even, even, even before that let's let's go italy haven't even qualified for the world cup Right, so that's a that, that's a failure, okay. right? Of course, that's a failure. It's a it's an unfortunate situation. It's not a great, it's not great for them, given their history and everything else. But is it a failure? I'd just say it's a bit of a setback and a disappointment. I think failure is too too strong of a word, but that's just sure. And also, also, I think it might, and, and you know, hearing hearing the debates, and, and the debates were great, honestly. And there was the, the interesting part that jumped out to me is none of the folks who were pro athletes said it was a failure. They all agreed with Giannis that it wasn't a failure. It was the, from the fan side and the reporter side. And I'm a fan, right? So if the Yankees don't win the World Series, I'm a big Yankee fan. If the Yankees don't win the World Series every year, that season to me is a failure. But, they're the Yankees. They're, so, not, they're not building so, up to anything. They've been there. They've already built up to it. They get close all the time. So if you don't actually reach the pinnacle, it's a failure in as a fan's in a fan's opinion. So I think that's where it differentiates. So quickly, because there is some semantics here. One, sure, to say the entire season's a failure, it's sort of absurd because the season wasn't a failure unto itself. If they were the number one seed, their championship run was a fail. That's how I distinguish it. And which would you rather be the the worst team in the playoff making it into the playoffs, but you win the championship or number one during the season? So worst, obviously the, the worst team to make it into the playoffs and win the championship. A hundred percent. So the, the season is really just a precursor to the championship. So their championship run was a failure. Mm -hmm. um, and I think people have different relationships to what failing means. Cause I, I'm more on the side, of what PJ saying is like, you always, you can learn and uh, you learn more from your losses than you do your wins. Right. But th 
this is a professional sports though. It's a bottom line industry. It's a bottom line business. Winning championships is what you play professional sports for, especially in the major sports in the United States for sure. Yeah, I hear you. And then it's like if he if this is the lesson that is learned that they go in a um you know, win it next year or three years in a row, then that's the cost of doing business, right? So like Sure. Then, we then don't holist- to- holistically it's not a failure, but this fine this year was. So so just as I to wrap this up so we could get into squash, it was just a, it was just a great debate. Uh, one of those few debates online that had no wrong answer. And uh, everybody had like a really good opinion, learned opinion. But so it was really interesting to hear from different folks. And tonight is a um, we're recording this on Sunday uh, evening. Tonight's a, a prime example. It's uh, at 630. So today's a great sports day, by the way. The Knicks are at halftime right now playing an NBA playoff game. The Warriors Kings game seven is coming up right afterwards. But tonight the Bruins are playing. And PJ, you're an ex-Bostonian, yeah. as it were. Yeah. The Bruins are playing game seven against the Panthers. The Bruins had the greatest season in the history of regular season hockey. They set a record for the most most points, most wins. You know yeah. the the best record ever. They they have a chance to lose if they lose tonight in the first round of the playoffs against again the lowest seed. They will be out of the playoffs after having the greatest regular season in the history of hockey. That would be a failure to me. What? That would be a failure. Wow! I just because because they don't win the Stanley Cup. The whole the whole point when you start a hockey when, when you start a hockey season is to win the Stanley Cup. And if you don't win the Stanley Cup, especially if you're the best team going into the playoffs. That's a failure. No, it'll be a disappointment. It wouldn't be a failure. Ask a Boston Bruin fan tomorrow morning what he thinks. If they I lose. would like to speak to a Boston Bruin player and see what he's taken. Yes, for sure. I think it's, if you go back to a lot of the fans, and as I said to you at the beginning, not to make it personal, like they say in the in the uh, in the in the uh, in the interview, these people coming out with these comments have never played sport to an elite or a high level. So I don't. Feel as though sure. they have an understanding of what it is, what's required, and what it takes to actually achieve the levels that these guys are playing at. So they won't allow failure to get come creep into their mindset. They will try because that's too much of a negative um, impact. They they will want to look at it and try and find a positive from it somehow. Okay, they don't win the Stanley Cup, but they've had the best season. So how can they improve upon next year to maybe have you know, equal of a season, but then managed to claim the Stanley Cup after that. It will be an ever-evolving quest to sure. to reach potential, as as I, the, the the point I made at the beginning there. So, from yeah, a, from no, a, from agree. a fan standpoint, you know these hard, you know these guys who are going out and they're putting their hard-earned wages into season tickets and traveling around the country to what their team watch their teams play. If they don't win, they as a fan, I feel would possibly consider it a failure. But I think. It's much more of a fan's perspective as opposed to a, a player or an athlete that's directly involved. Sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. There you go. Oh, I like it. <laughs> how, how about I that? Like how, about, how about that ending? Ending it on a positive like note. All right, there you go. Well done. Bill. So, so um, let's get into squash. So, just before we jump into the World Championships and uh, in, in a preview of that, there was some squash that happened over the uh, the past week. Um, most notably, and PJ, this is something we're going to lean on you for. Well, I am anyways, because I'm not sure um, of the magnitude of it. Um, the European championships, yeah. it kind of just kind of happened. It, it doesn't get the buildup of the world championships, team championships, obviously it doesn't even get the buildup of the comm games, uh, to no. be honest with you. So tell me, tell me about the European team championships and what's the magnitude of it. Is it a big deal or is it, is it kind of more like an exhibition? It's, just- it's a huge deal. Uh, it's a massive historic event. Um, this year, just I think the timings of the World Championships will be one of the factors that 
overshadow the Europeans. But um, if you look at the longevity of the event and the amount of players that have come through the European teams to progress on to very successful playing careers, um, I remember from my own personal experience to get selected for your country and represent England playing in the European Team Championships was, with the exception of the World Team Championships, the biggest uh, honour that you could get. I mean, playing, we used to have a thing called the Home uh, home Internationals here, which was England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. That would have been phase one of kind of your pathway through to uh, to the World Championships. And then after the Home Internationals, you would then... It would generally be the same team, but you would then try to prove your point or prove your worth and get a selection for the Europeans. If you didn't do that, would, would that be considered a failure? That would not be considered a failure. It would be considered a setback. I mean, when I look back to when I played, I think I played for my country, I think it's 58 times, 58 caps I got, and, and quite a few of those were playing for England in the, uh, in the European Team Championships. And I had the likes of Del Harris, Peter Marshall, Simon Park... Chris Walker, Mark Challoner, um, Peter Nickel eventually came over to uh, to England. The late stages of my career, so you know the the strength and depth of the England team, especially. I think we had a run of about twenty two years where we won the Europeans, where you had your countries like your well, your France and Germany's who hadn't really burst through onto the scene at that stage. So it was heavily dominated by, by England, you know, in the early years. But now when you go in, you've got, you've got the sweet, you've got, you know, the likes of Switzerland and Germany had a very strong team for a period. You look at the French team now, Linku, Gautier, um, tremendous uh, players that, that came through the, the, the French teams. And it was all, you know, it was a real introduction and a preparation for the Worlds. It got you a, a real sense of, Team camaraderie because a lot of the tournaments that you play as a as a as a pro are generally individual. So this was a an opportunity to represent your not only represent your country but you play within that team environment. And I actually for for a long period of time really struggled with the pressures of playing for my country because when I when I played for myself I was in sole control and I was accountable for for my performances. And when I played for England I felt that I was not only playing for myself, but I had four other teammates that I was trying to help as well. And I struggled with that when I first went out and played. My my record wasn't particularly good in my early years playing for England. So question for you on, yeah. on this, uh, on the, uh, on the European team yeah. championships, um, uh, would what's what would be a more prestigious gold medal, um, a European um, um, team championship or a Commonwealth, Commonwealth gold, gold medal? medal? I mean, there's no, yeah. Okay. Just yeah. just trying to trying to get the lay of the land there with what what those so, things mean to, so to, you, the, to the, the European. So if I was to kind of grade it, sorry to interrupt, Connor, you you would have, you would have, I would have said representing um, your country playing in the home internationals, England, Ireland, Scotland, Wales. Next up up from that would have been the Europeans winning that. Mm -hmm. Then I would have said commonwealth games personally and then i would have said world championships i would the world team championships i wow. feel would take precedent because it's because you're a world champion which for me has a little bit more of sure. a significance than than commonwealth gold oh. sure sure well the difference is on a um, international stage winning the commonwealth is is larger 
right? Because you're you're involved in a multi-sport. It's on the BBC. Yeah, like it's yeah. it's just a, so the pub the the publicity behind that is just a different machine within the sport world champs, and you really are defined as the best in the world because um, you're competing against everyone. Yeah, that's a good. That's yeah, a good fair point enough. Point. I I watched a bit. Of, I watched a bit of it. It was pretty exciting. There were some good matches. The, the Shabagi Kruin match was was very very well played and very and a very interesting match. Um, it, it just I, I kind of it almost seemed like a fait accompli at, that England was going to win in the be, in the beginning. Adrian Waller was very eloquent in his uh, in his speech at the trophy ceremony. I had never heard Adrian Waller speak before because, as I said, and I was don't, don't mean to throw shade at him, but he literally never gets off the back courts and never plays on the glass court. So I never hear an interview with him. So it was it was because he, he looks always looks so unhappy. <laughs> he, he has yeah. the most unhappy face in squash so but he looked really excited and had fun so i did watch that um so and england won france finished second switzerland finished a surprise third um i, I guess is from what i'm what i'm reading um although it seemed like they had a pretty good squad to me with nicholas Mueller. and um so, i don't see that as um, a surprise really i mean it's one of those that they, they've last couple of years have started to really produce a Quite a few good players over there. When you look at some of the coaches that are over there involved, you know, Nicky spends a bit of time with um, Simon Rosner uh, over in Paderborn. So he's he's been on the tour for a number of years. You've also got uh, the Jet, yep, who's uh, you know doing climbing up the ranks. So you do have a few surprise teams come through every now and then. Generally, most teams will have a good number one player. And then it, there is a tendency for a bit of a drop off as the team kind of moves. That's why England have always been so successful. When you look at the depth, the strength of depth. Same with France, but now obviously with it being a three man team, um, the Swiss are a formidable formidable force. The, the Spanish now are going to be in in the mix. So you do get a couple of surprise countries who haven't been on the map for for quite some time, starting to you know flex a, a bit of muscle in these events, which is great. And they're seated. The teams are seated off of previous the previous European Championship results. Correct. Yeah. So, so that's yeah. why Switzerland was seated seventh, and Belgium, which ended up finishing second, was uh, seated so low because uh, uh, Nela Nela last was, year she was Nela yeah. was hurt last year, so didn't play. So it's kind of an odd way to yeah. seed seed something like that. But either way, yeah, it, it's not it's it's not on current form. It's generally from the results from uh, the year prior. That's yeah. the same okay. way the Pan Ams work. Oh, is it? Uh-huh. Okay. So that's where, so every four years is the Pan American Games. And it's because it's the year prior that matters, like the teams will start to send their best uh, teams, you know, the year before to start prepping for it. So it usually goes development, development team, then like, hey, mixed team of veterans plus development, then your best team, and then obviously competing. So Okay. Well, also took place this week was the U.S. Nationals. Um, no, I guess no surprise. Amanda Sobe won her sixth U.S. Nationals. Uh, very impressive. <laughs> Winning six national yeah. titles is, is is quite an achievement. Um, and Andrew Douglas won um, won the uh, on the men's side his first his first title after he was in the finals twice before and uh, both I think first time as a junior actually and um, won his first title. So um, a uh, a fu- fun tournament to watch. I watched a lot of it. PJ um, and I don't want to throw shade at anybody who who, who worked uh, who who worked on that on the uh, on the stream, but you're uh, you're you're and Joey and um, all those guys. Your jobs are safe. That's all I have. Okay, to say. that's good. Well, that's a huge relief. <laughs> I'm sure. Thank you. I mean, Amanda, commanding performance. I mean, like you said, not unexpected, but to win basically three O's all the way through. Very solid. And beating Olivia Victor handily in the mm-hmm. final, like mm-hmm. handily. And um, the, the big upset, I think, of the tournament was probably, well, um, uh, Spencer Lovejoy beating Todd Harity, 
um, was obviously a, a big upset, but also um, Marina Stefanoni beating Sabrina mm-hmm. in the quarterfinals. Yeah, that's a, that's- was, that's was, a bit of a shocker. That's ye- a bit of a shocker. Yeah, de- yeah. depriving depriving uh, the fans of a uh, of a Sabrina Amanda yet another uh, uh, Sabrina Amanda uh, um, sibling rivalry match. So, but uh, yeah, <laughs> U.S. Nationals done now. Amanda hopefully could take some of that momentum onto the uh, World Championships um, and and make make a deep run. So that's the point of this um, this podcast. Although we've been talking about failures and talking about European Championships and U.S. Championships, we are here to preview the most important tournament of the year. Um, $1 million purse starting in Chicago this week. We have the 2023 world championships, which are our podcast made here. PJ will be on site for, um, as, uh, um, one of the, uh, as the lead announcer for squash TV. So, um, let's talk about that tournament. Um, I was, you guys looked at the draws, PJ, give me, give us first blush. Give us what your thoughts about this upcoming, uh, this upcoming. Yeah. A bit of a, yeah, I had a bit, of a, a bit of a flick through, really. And I think in both of the men's and the women's draws, they are massively top-heavy. When you look at the, the – this, yeah, huge. I mean, the, the depth and the strength of depth in both the men's and the women's draws in that top half are just um, – Strange, phenomenal. right? Phenomenal. I, I think the bottom half – Totally. Uh, I just – you know, Elias has got to be licking his lips, really. He's got to beat Mohamed – that's the only real potential banana skin I see for Elias to get through to the finals. You look in the other side of the draw, you've got Astal, who obviously is going to be all kind of eyes will be on him to see how he performs. But in his half, he's got Makin, Paul Cole and Ali Farag. So obviously, <laughs> um, I'm just looking at it now and it's. Uh, I'm really interested to see Going back to one of the podcasts we did a few weeks ago, just how we just had the British Open in Birmingham two weeks ago. Mm-hmm. And I thought the players just did such a great job of making the game. So it was so watchable. And I, I don't want to preempt anything or I'm just really curious to see how things change or turn out with Mustafa playing in the draw because there were little to no issues in Birmingham at all. Right. So... I'll be interested to see not only how he performs or how he conducts himself, because I think he has tried and he is trying to improve and get better, but also how the referees work with him. Because I felt like in Canary Wharf, Asal was targeted massively. Right, right. Massively targeted. Well, we'll find out quickly. So, we'll find out quickly, right? I mean, he's got a Macon, yeah. a Macon third, unless something really, really strange happens, he's got a third round matchup against Macon. Yeah. Yeah, I mean that's a, re- that's a rerun of the very controversial Canary Wharf. So yeah, yeah. In- um, interesting though, PJ. Uh, you know, as you're talking about the the tops tops of both men's and women's draws are uh, absolutely loaded. Where the bottom halves om- almost unfairly, it seems, are a yeah. pretty easy walk. So I'm looking at it. Farag call are going to Farag call is going to be a quarter if things go according to seed. A quarterfinal yeah. matchup where, and then you have Asal in the other quarter is either going to have to face Mazin or um, or Kruin, most most likely, unless, again, something yeah. where it happens. Where if you're looking, like you said, uh, Diego's going to have, he's going to have Gawad in a quarter, which obviously is not going to be an easy an easy shot. But, I mean, no. Mohamed Al-Shrabagi really has to, either his brother or, Tar- or Tarek in the uh, in the quarter. So, I mean, yeah, if, you, if you're true. reading them, it's, it's that top half of the draw is so much stronger. So yeah. much stronger. It's way over the bottom. Bottom half is way is is you know. Why? Why is that? Like just like, could you guys tell me how how is the seating? How is this done? So I could I could wrap my head around it because if you're you're looking at the men's, it's stark. 
If you look at the women's, it's a whole different level of lopsidedness. Yeah. So, hey, so how are seedings done? Tell, give me, give me some four one one for someone who doesn't, who could barely read a draw. Tell me how the draws are done. Connor, I'll leave this one to you. Uh, well, it's been um, this. Uh, I should say this is slightly dated, but it should be nine uh, percent accurate. So, I mean, it's um, you take the rankings of everyone that is uh, entered in the tournament, then you do what's called randomization within groupings. So that's where the one two. Typically, they get assigned to the top half and the bottom half. Then three four is flipped. Five three eight is flipped. Um, sorry, like randomize. Uh, oh, it is. That's randomized. Okay, so it's that's what that's why you end up with these top heavy draws. Yeah, it's really. I mean, the expression "luck of the draw." Then you would do nine through sixteen is randomized, and then seventeen through thirty two is randomized, and then in this case, it's a good question of whether it's thirty three through sixty four totally randomized or if they chunk it out. Um, at U.S. Squash, we actually would reduce the groupings of randomization because it just it was causing a little bit too too much mayhem. So this is in the junior squash. Like we wouldn't do straight nine through sixteen. We would do nine through twelve, then thirteen through sixteen. Um, but that's not the case with the pros. So right, I would think this with the pros, it would be one you know one plays sixty four, no two plays no, sixty three. The randomization is good. Just so the same people don't always play each other, mm-hmm. is that is that why? Yeah, but yeah, we always seem although, we always seem to see Macon who play us all early in the tournament. What, what I had put in as a recommendation, uh, with these things need to change, is that um, there should be a limit to how many times they play each other in the first round, right? Right. So like, right. if the if the intent is to exactly to your point of like not have the same people play each other, yet because of the luck of the draw and all that, they're coming out where it was literally like three in a row where the the players are still playing the same same thing then it's defeating the purpose so right i do think a policy on top of that should be within a rolling six months or whatever that the first round matches um get more randomized right well we get to see uh, we get to see um mustafa get right into it with um with macon and then he gets to play if um depending on who wins between mazin and crew and his two biggest rivals right his two biggest detractors on the tour are are uh, macon and crew so he would have a chance to 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 avenge both of them so i don't put it past mustafa to have that as a little incentive um to to, for his run but let's look at let's look at the men's and who do we think is going to get through this well well quickly just in in before highlighting that like just uh, on the bottom half i actually think uh Yusuf Ibrahim, you know, he could, he, there's a chance he could be El Shabagi really kind of confirming mixing up like just how weak the, the bottom is. And he's making a run into the, the quarters at that point, which then playing Dasuki, if he beats Momin, then suddenly he's in the semifinals. Yeah, Ibrahim's Ibrahim's kind of a wild yeah. card, right? I mean, because who knows where Correct. his where his game's at? If he if he's at full strength and playing really well, he throws a little bit of a monkey wrench into that bottom half of the draw for sure, for sure. Um, first round matches, there's not a lot of intrigue in the first round on the men's side. I saw one that does intrigue me, and I'm kind of hoping it's streamed as the um, George George Parker is back. Has George Parker been suspended? I haven't seen him in any tournaments. Haven't seen not him. That I know of. No, I've not seen him in a while. My my. My guess would be that it could be an injury. Okay, that's so kept him out. Yeah, he, but I don't know of any suspension. Okay, so he play, he plays Abelgar in the first round, which which has has the potential for there being on a on a uh, on a back court like a a traditional court being a, a long arduous match with a lot of fireworks with between the two of those two, those two players because neither neither one is is what we call calm on court. <laughs> they're both are, they're both are fiery and uh, Gawad Solomon is is another interesting first round match. 
um, Sol- Solomon's a solid player. Can't put it past Solomon from for ups. He could throw a, a huge wrench into that part of the drive by beating Gawad for sure. Make that path that much easier. Yeah, I'm just not quite sure he's got the the short game to trouble Gawad enough. Um, he had a good run through in the British Open. I can't remember what round he got through to uh, Yusuf Solomon, but but it just looked like there was a massive void and a and a gap in his game that was the front half of the court. And you're only going to get so far if you're trying to beat players in 50% of the court. I feel as though Gawad now is working through this plantar fascia issue and he looked great in the British Open. Didn't play particularly well uh, in the matchup that he lost. He kind of, he lost to Mazin, I think. That was a bit of a strange match between those two, but he's definitely getting back and closer to his former best. Yeah. So, so do you think? What do you think about Mohamed El Shabagi playing the uh, European teams and having such a grueling match against Kruin yesterday, um, leading into the World Championships at his age? Not, not ideal. Yeah. Not uh, ideal preparation. I it, don't think. Yeah, I was wondering I think about now, that. Now, when you get to that, when you get to that stage, I'm not sure how old Mohamed is, but um, I think for, for him to have success in the in the World Champs, he would have had to have been just perfectly primed and rested and and body loose and fresh and charged if he's going to have any joy through this so 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 why why play those is there just because he's new to england and he thought like hey i'm i'm new new to uh, the england national team and this is the europeans and i need to play this to, there, to, to cement my position there will be a calculated reason by Mohammed to do this i don't think this is because of his um contract or his commitments to england i think he would have done it because he feels like he needs some decent matches or to, to be sharpened up. He would have learned a lot. He wouldn't have judged the British Open as a failure. He would have learned a lot from the British Open and mm-hmm. he would be thinking to himself, where do I need to improve to get the most out of my world championships? And I, I reckon it's been a calculated decision that he would have made with Greg and with his team. Mm-hmm. Uh, otherwise, he would have made an excuse and decided not to play. So I think he's he's done it with with good intentions. I think also, I mean, though the Worlds is a you know it's a much bigger event. I mean, your first rounds are going to be pretty easy. So he's just kind of like sharp. He could be sharpening his um, his blade there. Like the first two rounds for him should be non-event. So um, he'll he have it seems like he'll have enough rest time. Not ideal ideal, but enough rest time to like be on point. He was he was pumped up for the for the European teams. I mean, he the enthusiasm he showed throughout that, like jumping up and down. And his tweet after it was over with was, um, "European teams champs, blessed to be part of this amazing team, and can't wait already to team up with them again soon." So, although he used the word team three times in one short tweet, obviously it shows like uh, he has a uh, an affinity towards teams, obviously. But uh, so he was enthusiastic about it for sure. I think it's refreshing to see. I know that there was a lot of um, speculation about Mam's decision to move away from Egypt and play for Team England because they felt that one of the issues that the England selectors were concerned about was how much are we actually actually going to get out of Mohamed El Shabagi coming on board? At his age. Is he just going to turn up? Is he just going to take the funding? Um Will he be part of the team? Will he get involved? Because obviously his experience and what he can potentially bring to the table is about as as big of a package as you could ask for, really. With with you know, with what he's done in the game, 
and it looks to me like he's embraced it and he's, you know, he's starting to, not starting to, but he is certainly delivering from his side of the bargain. Yeah, mm. seems to be what, for sure. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, yeah. He's uh, you look at all the all the um, all the social media with England squash po- posting on him showing up at like junior clinics, him showing up at squads, him doing pretty much ev- everything right at this yeah. point. So it ha- ha- doesn't seem to have been a misstep. So in the end, the dream final obviously, obviously would be um, Asal against Elias, number one and number two, right? I mean, fi- would the winner of that? Be- I don't know what the scenarios are. It's so hard to keep track of who's number one in the world, like what the scenarios are. I would assume yeah. that the winner of that would be number one in the world. Am I wrong about that? I don't think you can dis- discount Ali. Ali will Ali will be in that frame. May depend on where Ali finishes. If it's just them two, I, I suppose, yeah, Bill, you're probably right. Yeah, I haven't if seen those much. two end up. Sorry, yeah, no. If those two end up playing in the final, then whoever wins, I think, will go go to number one. So it doesn't get much better than that, right? The world champs playing for the no. highest five hundred grand uh, prize money um, with with those no. two players playing uh, would be awesome. Although there's so much could happen. The intrigue going into this is is really really exciting. Um, so. Prediction time on the men's side. Uh, uh, again, we're, we're so good at this, guys. We, we are so good at this. So let's keep that streak going. Um, let's go uh, uh, PJ first. Go. Oh, my gosh. I'm going to go for a sell. <laughs> I've got to go for a sell. I just think he's got such a point to prove. I think he would have been sitting there watching that British Open, just salivating and frothing at the mouth, waiting to get out there and, and prove everybody that he – feels and belongs atop the the world ranks. Um, I think the the bottom half of the draw, I mean, you can't count Farag off either in that, in that top half, but I, I feel Elias will get through from the bottom half. I, I do see a, 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 a sell and Elias final in the men's. I hope so. I really hope so. Uh, yeah. uh, Connor? Um, I, I mean, I have uh, Elias cruising through to the finals in the bottom half, uh, and I went with Farag. So I think uh, I think Frog yeah. will will pull it out. Yeah, I gr- agreed. I, I I'm rooting so hard for a uh, for a um, LES Asal final, but I do think Farag is going to win the championship. I think Chicago means a lot to him. His daughter was yeah. born there. I mean, he's yeah. this will be his third this will be his third time in a row. I'm looking on on the men's side right now. There are only three players on the men's side uh, who have ever won the world championship or are still in the tournament this year, and that's obviously um, Muhammad Ali and um, and Tarek Momin. Um, so, uh, and yeah. on the women's side, even less. There's there's only Nor- Norel Sherbini. So, um, yeah, I think Ali Farag is going to win uh, win his third his third in a row. So, um, let's look at the women's side. Um, so, talk about misbalance. This is the top of the draw. <laughs> top of the draw has Gohar, Hamami, Tayeb, Amanda Sobi. The bottom half of the draw has Sherbini, Kennedy, King, and Fichter. I mean, that is yeah. that's unbalanced. Yeah. That is, that is really really unbalanced. So I mean, that that is like Sherbini is like must be licking her chops right now. Not that those girls can, can Kennedy give them a battle. Could Fichter, you know, you know, find some magic and give a battle for sure. But I mean, you're looking at Hamami type. I mean, yeah. <laughs> the, the, what 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 Gohar Gohar is going to play. Tayeb in the third round, if seeds if seeds go, and <laughs> you're, you're going to play, and then you're going to play, you're going to play Sobi in the quarter and have a Hamami semi. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's crazy. I, yeah. I, yeah. I think there's a scenario where um, we could have two Americans in the semis. Really? I think so. 
So obviously, Amanda, you're talking yeah, for sure, right? But if you look at Olivia in the bottom half, I mean, go ahead, yeah, give me so, that. So uh, she she would have to go through, you know, the first round. It's almost irrelevant, but then um, Nelly Nelly Gillis, uh, then coming up against uh, Joel King, which you know that's that's winnable. Doesn't have a very good win uh, win record against her, but it's winnable, and then that would put her into the semis. But if you're looking at um, Sherbini, right? Sherbini really to get to the uh, to the finals only has to beat Perry. If if seeds ha- hold, Perry Kennedy King. Yeah, I mean Sherbini. Sherbini's going to win this again. So. Yeah. But she she's going to make it to the final for sure. Whether she wins it or not, I, I am not sure. But she is definitely going to make. I, I don't see who could get who could stop her if she's if she's healthy. I mean, granted, she played the British Open like a broken finger and a twisted ankle and still won. Who who who's going to beat her? At the top, it'd have to be either either Gohara or Hamami. Hamami can beat her. Hamami is like, Hamami can play her. Hamami's not afraid to play her. Hamami has had great results against her. So I, I would actually think that Hamami has a better chance to beat her than Gohara in a lot of ways. I would agree with that entirely. Yeah, I think if you look at the head-to-heads between, um, let me have a quick look. I'll go back to my notes here because we uh, we actually commentated on this uh, the, on the final at. Um, so, Gohar Shabini head to heads, okay, seventeen seven now eighteen seven in favour of Shabini, okay, right, right. Now going into that British Open final, you'd have had Gohar to win that all day long. Hadn't dropped a game. Shabini had had two five setters going into the final. In that in that eighteen and seven, so twenty five head to heads, twelve of those between Gohar and Shabini were in the finals. Okay. Wow. Yeah. Um, this is going into the 17 to 7 head to heads, 12 finals. Shabini has won 9 to 3 in the head to heads. So even if Shabini is off, she, she's got Gohar's number. And when you watched her play, Gohar for me did not play very well in that final at all. No. Shabini looked a little bit slow coming out of the gate and she absolutely thumped Gohar. Yeah. Absolutely thumped her. Yeah. Was, it, was, it wasn't even close. So should Shabini get through to the final, I 100% agree. I, I think the only person that can stop her is Hamami. And I, I, I hope I'm speaking out of turn here, but Hamami for me, has, her game has really plateaued the last six to eight months. I think she needs a little bit of a, an injection of a, a new voice. I feel like she's at a stage in her career where she needs somebody else to now take over the reins. I feel as though she's maximized her, her capabilities under the under the, the guidance that she's getting and I think she needs to she needs to branch out and do something different because she looks maybe whether she was um, adhering to Ramadan during the British Open or not, I'm not sure. I don't think she was. In actual fact I'm not even sure she's if she's Muslim, I'm not sure. But anyway, um she looked extremely out of sorts. She looked off the pace. She looked tired. She looked confused. Tactically, when she lost to Sobi, it was one of the poorest tactical displays that I'd seen from her. Because normally, see, she's so astute and so switched on when she plays with opponents. She's playing Amanda Sobi. 80% of the play was down the forehand side of the court. Sobi's got one of the best forehands in the game. So... Something was definitely off in that British Open. So she'll need to, she's had a bit of time, but she's going to have to make some massive adjustments if she's going to get through and um, 
and, and compete in that final of the, of the of the world champs for sure. Conspiracy theory: uh, Gohar's old coach became her coach. Am I correct? Correct. And it, now, is that yeah. poss- possible? They did that to submarine her career because she was coming up, and coming strong. <laughs> is it just you know put on Ooh. my tinfoil tin tin tinfoil hat right there? Some some Egyptian politics happening. Let's let's yeah. this young girl. We can't let her knock Sherbini off her crown. She was the biggest threat. She plays Sherbini harder than anyone. Possible that there's there's those kind of inner workings. I mean, I mean, just you know, stranger throw that out. things have happened, Bill. Stranger <laughs> things have happened. Throw that out on a Reddit board and see see what people do with it. <laughs> so so. so um, I, I do have some <laughs> exactly. So Amanda Sobe, uh, a U.S. best U.S.'s best chance, the U.S. national champ six times, um, has an interesting start uh, as far as um, our, this podcast is concerned, and also um, as far as my squash fandom is concerned. First round matchup, Tomato Ho. Uh, Amanda Sobe plays Tomato, so not 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 ideal for me because I do want Amanda to win the world championship, but I also want Tomato Ho to win the world championship, and obviously both things cannot happen. <laughs> So, Who's your money on though, Bill? I, if, you I, to, if you were to put a pizza on it, I, I can't. Unfortunately, Amanda Sobe is a, a coworker of mine, uh, being uh, okay. playing for the U.S. national team, so I can't gamble on that. But if I had to put a pizza on it, I, I put this way: would I put a, would I make sure there's some tomato sauce on that pizza? Ooh, maybe, maybe, <laughs> maybe. But worse than that, she wins. Guess who she plays in the second round of seats hold? Wow! Think think this podcast. Think this podcast. PJ, not do you ever think about this podcast, but think for now. No, I don't. I don't listen to these podcasts. I don't think about these podcasts. You know, Bill. <laughs> she plays Jana Shea in the second round. Jana Shea. Yeah, yeah. So, so wow. Amanda, Amanda could could basically take all of my rooting interest besides Amanda Sobe out of out of the tournament in in, th- in three days. It could be done. I could be done. I could yeah. be all done and just basically be rooting for Amanda the rest of the way, just because she takes uh, she takes uh, Jana out and and Tomato out. So I'm hoping for a, a feisty match between. Um, and again, um, I I won't I won't repeat because I got a little flack from it from from some of our um, more sensitive listeners when I said. Uh, Hose over Sobes um, um, for uh, for the first <laughs> or ho- or hose, hose before Sobes. I forget how I put it. Either way, either way, it didn't it didn't go over well. So it didn't go uh, down well. Yeah. On, on the women's side, so let's let's talk about ahead, seeds. Connor. Though it's it's Holly Naughton that would be advancing. Just so you know. Well, over over who over yeah. Shia? If there's no way there's there's no way in my PSA world that Jonna Shia loses to Holly I, Naughton. There's just I, no I'm, way. I'm just saying that would be an upset. There you go. That's the match. That's a match I will gamble on. That John is not losing to the Holly Nortons of the world. I'm just saying that right now. Throw it out there. Put it out there. Dear Holly, Holly Norton's no slouch. Holly Norton can play. Yeah. He's no slouch. Yeah, I know. But come on, seriously, Holly Norton over Janice. Come on, seriously. Let's 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 okay. <laughs> let's let's move on from that. That's more that's more favoritism on my part. Um. So who do we think? Uh, let's prediction time. Um. Who do we feel is going to uh, take home the uh, the the world championship uh, on the women's side? Uh, PJ. Shabini all day long. Okay. I think that now she's got enough time with Greg and her team. I just feel like they found a really good formula. She's moving better. She's quicker into the front. She's lunging. She's holding a lunge and she's moving out in the front better. And she's more confident in her movement. If if she turns up and there's no strapping or any K-tape or any part of the body is being supported in any way, shape or form. I just think the confidence she would have then also taken from the British Open will be such an advantage for her. So okay. the only the only area I feel she will get challenged, really challenged, will be in the finals. Yeah, I, I would uh, it's it's hard not to 
take Sherbini, even though it's, it feels like we're broken records here, but um, she's just dominant. She's on form. I, I think there's a, uh, you know, Kennedy can push her. Wasn't it recently they, they went to, went sure. to five? Kennedy's always, always, but capable. I just, yeah, in five. but I, but again, what, when you look when, uh, even when Sherbini's in a tough spot, her ability to win is just unbelievable. So regardless of, right. Right. Um, how her body is, uh, who she's played before, um, but the 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 way the draw is shaping up is she has a pretty clear path to the finals. I, I would go as far as to say, if an eighty percent Shabini turns up, that that's going to be yeah. enough. It's going to be enough. All yeah. right, I'm going to go with no, the winner. No. The winner of a uh, Ho um, Sobi first round match is going to be my champion. So, um, that, that, <laughs> so if you have if you have tickets, if you're a, a sponsor or one of the people who was lucky enough to have tickets to the early rounds that are being played at the U Club, focus in on that match because that's going to be your opportunity to see up and close to the world champion without having to go to the train station and and pay for a for a big money ticket. So, um, I'm taking the winner of that match to go on and take the title. Very yeah. diplomatic. So, PJ. PJ, talk talk to us. When do you head to Chicago? I'm flying out on the fourth. I'll fly into New York first, and then I've got to connect to through to Chicago. And so I'll be in uh, around six thirty, six forty p.m. And they're starting. They're starting um, glass court coverage on the sixth. The fifth. On the fifth. Okay. The fifth. The fifth. Yeah, next day. And uh, who, around noon. noon and time. who? And who is? Um, who are? Who are? The, who's the commentating team? We have currently Joey Barrington, Ashlyn Blake, and. Daniel Latourneau. Oh, interesting. So looking forward to it, PJ, looking forward to your commentary. This is, I mean, it's the end of the season. It's, it's, we've been, we just saw a great British open. I am more excited for this tournament and it's definitely the assault factor has a lot to do with it. hundred percent. I'm so excited for this tournament and uh, to, to, to see what goes on. Um, I cannot wait for this to kick off this week. I'm looking forward to hearing you and Joey uh, uh, talk about it. Yeah, I mean the, the the pair of us. This this is about as exciting of a world championships as I can remember for for quite some time, but for for different reasons because of all the all the shenanigans that are going on around the SL show. So I'm just you know looking forward to seeing how that how that particular part of it. And and whatever you say about the British Open, it was a, an absolutely fantastic event, but. When a sow isn't in a draw, it definitely does leave a little bit of a void in there. So mm-hmm. it's not to say it wasn't as watchable and as enjoyable, but there was definitely a bit of a missing factor that, that I'm looking forward to, to seeing again. Was it a failure? Would you call the British Open a failure? I would I would call the British yeah. Open a huge success. Okay, what What is your, PJ, what's your gut? On um, coming out of the suspension of the impact that will have on a sow? You think he, he'll clean up his act? You know, be changing it differently, or just going out there to prove everyone wrong. Do I do I think he'll clean up his act? I think you will see elements of improvement. I just don't think it's going to happen overnight. I think it's a it's a long term issue that will need to get sorted out. However, I did see a massive improvement at Canary Wharf. I personally felt that he was very hard done by from the referees. I think there needs to be a little bit of give on uh, on on two sides here. I think the referees need to be a little bit more lenient, and I think Asal needs to just tidy things up a touch from from his part. I think both I think both were at fault, especially for that Canary Wharf. 
I think it would do do well for the tournament. And I, I like John Mazzarella. I don't think John Mazzarella, unless it's it's a semi or a final, should be referee because maybe he's assigned to those because he's a veteran referee. But I don't think yeah. he should be assigned to Asal's um, Asal's matches early. I know they don't do that and they don't want to play favorites and 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 make that a pre- set a precedent like that. But there's definitely something there with Mazzarella and Asal, um, and it, it it does affect the matches. I don't care if. It's blatant, and you can see it. So you're, you're, you're. If you're denying that, then you're not seeing things correctly, in my opinion. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know this for sure, but I will be, I'll be surprised if you do see Mazzarella refereeing a sal at the World Championships, unless it is possibly uh, in a, in a final. And the, all of these points I've sat in on some referee meetings, and they do get discussed. Mm-hmm. about who gets designated to referee certain players. And we went through a bunch of clips from Canary Wharf and looked at certain situations where decisions were given immense against Mustafa, where, sorry, we, we used the cell as an example because there were some situations that took place in the British Open where referees were saying, well, had this particular scenario taken place on court and it was a cell that had caused that particular movement or that then Asal would have been given a harder, harsher punishment. So I think that's an area that the referees, and you know, it's great listening, being in with these referees because they all want to improve. They all want to get better and they are getting better. They all, um, I think they just need to, there needs to be a bit of a, a better communication and a bit of a, a more kind of independent judgment on some of the decisions that take place when Asal is involved and not preempted and judging him on his uh, reputation and his history and his past. It needs to be right. Know, right. And judged just, on what's taken place. At the and, time. and just make the calls without the, without the, uh, the soliloquies after you make a call. Um, like, yeah. like John yeah. does that. I think that, I think that lends more to it than anything is he makes a call and then has to justify his call every time, which makes me think that maybe he's not too sure of his call. Yeah. So, well, he's one of the most experienced, and he is one of the best referees out there. I just think they'll be sure. careful where where he's assigned. All right, guys. Sounds good. Look forward to it. Have a great time, guys. Safe travels, PJ. By the way, your hair looks fantastic. So I know you probably got it done for the tournament, but it looks really good. Freshly cut today, Bill. And looks nice. Uh, for all the all the all the listeners, you'll be able to see it. Just live just on TV. Don't think I don't think I didn't notice. Thanks. See it. All right. See you guys. Thanks for listening to another show on SQR Squash Radio. We really do appreciate you taking the time to listen. And we have a quick ask. In an effort to help us grow, if you have a quick minute, please consider sharing an episode with a friend who might be interested or leaving a rating on any of the platforms you listen to your podcast. It would mean a lot to me and the rest of the team. Thanks so much and have a great day.